morning, guys. Um, so we're carrying on today with our series on Becoming Orchards. Mike started the series off last week looking at Ephesians 1. Today we're looking at Ephesians 2, funnily enough. Um, so this book, as Catherine said, is written by a guy called Paul. Um, he went to Ephesus, told some people about Jesus, they formed a church. Paul then left Ephesus and he's now in prison writing back to this church in Ephesus hence why it's called Ephesians. Um, So Paul begins this chapter by saying, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. He then goes on from this point, reminding the Ephesians of their once, their old lives, their past. Once you were dead because of your many sins, once you lived in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, refusing to obey God. Once you were following the passionate desires of your sinful nature, subject to God's anger. So what is Paul's point here? Why, why is he bringing up their past? I mean, this word once surely means that it really is their past and it's not, not the reality they're living in now. So there has to be more to this story, more to our story, because isn't this all of our stories? Once dead in our sins, living our own way, following the rest of the world, completely lost and in need of resurrection. But verse 13 says, Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. But now. Two words, six letters, and yet they tell us so much about the kindness and the goodness and the mercy of our God. Our once has become a but now. We no longer have to live in our once reality, but in the truth of the but now. There is more to the story, more to our story. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were lost, but now we're found. We were living in sin, but now we live in the power of the Spirit. But now we're seated in the heavenly realms, but now we are united with Christ. But now we are saved by grace. And this list just goes on and on. The question is, do we fully live in the realities of this truth? Are we really aware of how big this but is? I think Paul's point in reminding the Ephesians of their past is to make sure they haven't forgotten just how much Jesus saved us from. I think Paul wants to ensure that they haven't that they, make, they never lose the joy of their salvation, that they continue to live in the fullness of all God has for them as Christ's body and dwelling place, that they remember the reality they were once living in, but now all they have access to. Has anyone ever been to Five Guys? No? Oh, amazing burgers, you need to go. So you basically get a burger, and then they have all these toppings that you can choose from and add to your burger completely free, as many as you want. So me and Jamie will go in, we'll order our burgers, and then spend about five minutes listing all these toppings that we want to add to our burgers. I'll have a cheese bacon burger with pickles, fried onions, lettuce, mayo, barbecue sauce, tomatoes, jalapenos. The list goes on, but they're great burgers. (laughs) 
But it always makes me laugh because one of Jamie's friends goes into Five Guys, he orders his burger, and then he has lettuce and ketchup. <laughs> lettuce and ketchup. When you've got this list of like masses of toppings completely free, and you stick with lettuce and ketchup, you're really missing out. But I wonder if we live like that sometimes. God has all of this on offer for us. Full life, access to the Father, reconciliation to one another, hope, being part of God's dwelling place. And do we sometimes just stick with lettuce and ketchup? It's so easy to slip into our wants, feeling weighed down by our sin. It's so easy to slip back into disobedience, following our own desires, listening to the lies of the devil, forgetting we have access to God. Sometimes we're not really even necessarily living a bad life or doing anything majorly wrong. But if we're not living in the fullness of the but now, if we've lost our fire, then we're missing out. I read this study a while ago on the building of the tabernacle, and it says this. In the wilderness of sin, God set a test before his children. In essence, he responded to their grumblings like this. I've shown you my presence again and again. I've intervened on your behalf with signs and wonders. I've let you go hungry so you know it's I who feeds you. Now I will put you through the hardest test of all. I will let you grow accustomed to my presence. I will feed you from my table and prove who you really are. Will you grow in awe or will you grow cold? This is still the most difficult test of all. Have we grown casual with God? Has he become an assumption to you? Do you feel all that you need to know about him? When was the last time you fell on your face before him and wept over the unfathomable fact that he has chosen to take up residence in your very being? Are you over it? Do you go to church on Sundays and work tirelessly for your church because it's what you've always done, yet secretly you have lost your fire? Do you serve through boredom or for some future reward? Or do you still expect to learn something new from your encounters with God? This hits me hard time and time again. I need to remind myself to make time to just be in the fire of his presence. To make space to allow him to fan the flame in me. To make I, just like the Ephesians, we all need reminded time and time again of the truth of God's grace. May we never lose sight of this amazing but now. King David prays in Psalm 51, 11 to 12, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. In another translation, it says, let my passion for life be restored. Would this become our prayer? I struggled to write this talk, to be honest. It's taken me like weeks <laughs> um, to just get my head together. Um, 
you know, like in this season of moving house, getting settled, being busy with a new job and a new role, it's so easy to slip into just doing, just plodding through life, forgetting the joy of my salvation, forgetting the reality of just how much I've been saved from, the brokenness I was lost in, and forgetting that there is a but now. When I'm feeling settled or just getting on with the busyness of life, I can forget to just be with my father. I might be reading scripture daily, I might be coming to church every week, but not really living in the moment-by-moment fullness of life that he has offered us totally free when we walk intimately with him. I regularly need reminded. I regularly need that fresh jet of joy of knowing all that God has done for me and all that he saved me from. Ephesians 2.18 says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. But now I am united with Christ and raised up with him. Surely, if I believe that reality, how could my life ever, ever look the same? God saw us messed up, broken, totally lost, and yet he chose to use us, saved us, transformed us by his spirit, through his son. This transformation only comes because of God, through Jesus, by his Holy Spirit. Our but now is only possible because of but God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Dead, but now alive. How can someone possibly go from being dead to being alive? That is a pretty impossible situation, isn't it? It's certainly not anything we can do. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Things change because of God. We're created anew because of God. He makes impossible situations possible. I wonder if we have situations where we might need to declare, but God. This situation looks impossible, but God. My finances are looking hopeless, but God is my provider. My health is not good but God is still good. I don't know how I'm going to go forward from this, but God is my hope. I can't see how they will ever find Jesus in this situation, but God is in control. I was lost and dead in my sin, but God has brought me life. God brings transformation. God is always working for our good and for his glory. Do we really believe that? Do we really dream and have faith big enough that we will see dead things come to life in Jesus' name? That we will see impossible situations become stories of 
but God stepped in. What does that mean for us? What does our but now and the truth of but God mean for us practically? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. We are God's masterpiece. I had a little Google of what this word masterpiece actually meant in like the original context. And um, this Greek word, I'm not going to say it right, poiema, <laughs> means workmanship. And um, as I was like researching it, I found out that this word appears again, workmanship, in Romans 1 verse 20. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from his workmanship, so that men are without excuse. So we are God's workmanship, created in you in Jesus, which means that God has chosen us to make seen and understood his invisible qualities to reveal to the world his eternal power and divine nature. Does that not just blow your mind a little bit? (laughs) God's purpose has always been to use us, the church, to display his mysteries. God saw us in our once state, in our brokenness, in our mess, and thought, I've got a good idea. I'm going to use you guys to show the world who I am. A group of messed up people following their own passions and desires, obeying the devil, and he chose to reveal his perfect love, his awesome holiness, his wisdom, his grace and power through us. He's asked us to share his heart. But now, we are part of this dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. I don't know about you, but I just, yeah, that absolutely blows my mind. When I was younger, um, my mum was planting some seeds in the garden. And I came along and I asked her what she was doing. And I asked if I could help her. Um, She showed me what to do and she explained that she was planting these seeds to help them grow. So we planted these seeds. And a few days later... Um, she was looking in this basement we had in the garden um, where we were growing some tadpoles. And she said to me, Beth, where have the tadpoles gone? And I said, well, I've planted them to help them grow. <laughs> a, few dead tab- a few dead tadpoles later and a few years of growing up, I now thankfully know how to plant seeds. But my point is, my mum could have quite easily planted those seeds on her own. It would have been quicker and easier, and she would have had no dead tadpoles. But she let me do it with her because she loved doing it with me, and she wanted to show me and teach me what she was doing. God could bring salvation and transformation to Merley a lot easier without us, and probably a lot quicker. But God uses us. We are his workmanship. He loves us. And he uses us in our brokenness. We are his workmanship. 
God put us here because he wants to do it with us. He wants to show us and teach us more of his heart in the process so that we then display even more of him to the world. When I've been praying for us as the Lantern Church family, as we step into this new vision, I keep getting this passage come to mind. And um, I feel it was really important that we actually read it out. Um, So if you'd like to follow in your Bible, it's Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 10. Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 10. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these dry bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone can answer that. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic word to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise across the whole valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but still they had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds. Son of man, speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. A pile of dry bones, but now a great army. This is what I believe God is doing to his church. And this is what I believe God is inviting us into here in the Lantern, in Merley. We were once this pile of rattling bones, dried up, not living in the full reality of the life that God is freely offering us. But now, a great army, filled with the breath of God's spirit and fire in our bellies, I believe God is inviting us to partner with him in breathing his breath of life on dry bones. Just as God invited Ezekiel to partner with him in declaring dry bones live, I believe God is giving us the authority to declare over our community, over our families, over ourselves, dry bones live. I believe we will see a great army rise up from our community of people dead, but now alive. We were apart from Christ, but now brought near. God's workmanship, carefully joined together in Jesus, 
to become a dwelling place for God's spirit here on earth. A family on a mission. Reconciled to God. Reconciled to one another. Reconciled to reconcile. Our job is to show God to the world. When we live in the fullness of our but now, and when we understand the truth and the power in but God, we will show the world what it looks like to be truly alive. We will show the world what it looks like to live with hope. And we will show the world what it looks like to be part of a family. A family of God sharing his heart to reach the lost, grow the found, and transform our communities.